Hello and welcome to episode 197 of the Enough Podcast. My name is Mike Hurley and I'm joined as always by my good friend and co-host Mr. Patrick Roan. Hi Pat. Hey there sir, how are you? I'm very well, how are you? I'm great. Uh, so we have yet another guest on the show today. Wow, we're blessed. Uh, yeah, we, we truly are. We really are. It must be the 5x5 five five thing. That's probably what it is. Probably. Like, you know, now people like recognize us. In the street. Want to be on the show. Mm-hmm. You know, people like uh, Ian Broom. Hello. Hi. Hello. How are you, sir? Um, I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> so, Mr. Broom, he is one of our illustrious hosts, uh, the current 70 decibels. And uh, you are the the host of the Right for Your Life podcast here. And you uh, are. Excellent. Excellent Right for Your Life podcast if you are into writing. So you can find Ian there, and uh, you have your own blog as well, Mr. Broom, ianbroom.com, and that's basically none of the way you'd expect to spell it, which is, so it's I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E.com. And Ian is the published author, so you Mm. are an actual published author, and that's probably Mm -hmm. why we're leading on from this, of the book A is for Angelica. How's that been doing for you, by the way? Um, it's been doing very well. It's It's been an unusual six months. We've just been talking pre-show about my identical twin. So the, I spent pretty much a decade um, writing and editing, getting an agent, getting it published. Um, and then when I got, you know, this is a really exciting time in my life that this novel is going to finally be out uh, in the wild. And then I went and had identical twins about a month later. <laughs> so it's been um, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, and and strangely enough, the book hasn't hasn't been as as important in my life as perhaps I expected it would be when I set out on the uh, my writing journey. But yeah, no, it's yeah. been it's been going very well. It's it's been selling um, pretty well, considering that it's um, you know it's not from one of the big five. Publishers. It's one of the um, independent publishers in the UK, in London, and um, and whilst that is, well, we're going to come on to this, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it is fantastic. You obviously you don't get the same kind of sort of financial support and um, and all that kind of thing. But you know, Legend Press, the publisher, have been have been amazing, and and um, and and all, all things considered, bearing in mind that I've not been able to put in as much time as I thought I was going to be doing in terms of promotion, it's been doing it's been doing pretty well. I'm pretty happy with it. So obviously we had Harry on last week, and Harry is looking mm. to get published, uh, mm-hmm. but Ian has been published, and it was an interesting because I mean obviously I, leading up to the book book's launch and after the book's launched launched sorry we were talking a lot on the Right for Your Life podcast when I was hosting the show with Ian um, about that process, and it was it was very interesting to hear hear that sort of rolling through and, and the things that were happening there because. You are, Mr. Broom. You you have always been of the opinion that you wanted to be published and you had the book written for a long time and could have self-published it, but it just wasn't what you wanted to do. Yeah, and and I think, you know, that was... Uh, first of all, I should say, we got a tremendous amount of, of, of feedback. I did, more so than I have for any other show, uh, that uh, any other podcast episode that we've done, uh, with perhaps the lone exception being uh, episode 14, um, but this is a very close number two, and I was actually kind of surprised by it. Um, uh, not the least of which, I was surprised that there are that many people in the audience who are interested in, 
in the publishing discussion, as it were. Um, you know, and I often talk about writing here and and such in my own experience, but but uh, you know, certainly it was nice to kind of. Uh, you know, number one, invite Harry on because he had a kind of really kind of different perspective than I think I had. Um, and it felt like a nice kind of jovial, you know, not really argument, but, you know, kind of a gentleman's disagreement about, uh, <laughs> you know, about uh, kind of the direction of things and, and what was important. Um, and one of the things that uh, got pointed out uh, by at least a few people was that I didn't think about this at the time, but I should have part of part of his take on it versus my take may have something to do with the fact that I publish nonfiction and he's looking to publish a fiction book. And obviously a for Angelica is a fiction book and that there may be actually some separation there as far as, uh, the perception of self-published nonfiction authors and self-published fiction authors. Does that make sense? Um, it, it makes it makes perfect sense. I thought that as well while when I was listening to it. Um, and I think to take that a step further, I think that Harry said that he was trying to that he was writing um, literary fiction. So his mm-hmm. novel was about everyday life. I think is what he said, and um, and mine's also literary fiction, and. Um, and the reality is that the majority of success stories, um, uh, self-publishing success stories through um, through Amazon primarily, tend to be um, either non-fiction or thrillers or fantasy novels or um, crime stories. It's genre mm-hmm. fiction, basically. Or, you know, or, as we noted on the... Uh uh, you know, at least alluded to on the last uh, episode, erotic fiction tends to do very well. Yes, family-friendly filth is in. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but but but, but th- I mean, Fifty Shades is an interesting um, phenomenon in in the sense that the publishers um, uh, picked it up and it became and and, and it became a, a bestseller in a in a more traditional way. But it would never have got to that stage without self-publishing but the point is these things are such outliers they are incredible outliers they are really rare examples that I mean at that level of success yeah um but there are plenty of people making good money through self-publishing um but there are many people writing literary novels that are making good money through self-publishing. Um, I'm not saying there aren't any, but there, there are no sort of... It, it, it's certainly further and fewer between. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing that I got from Harry, and I, and I don't know him, so I don't want to speak for him, but I got the impression that he was um, hanging on to this, um, uh, and, and rightfully so, I'm, I'm with him on this, um, the idea of a, a literary canon. So I did an English degree. And mm. I was taught um, sort of the classics and the, the origin of the novel, for example, right mm. back to the novel Orinoco and Mole Flanders, um, right through Victorian uh, fiction, Jane Eyre, all that kind of thing, all the way up um, right to contemporary fiction. So whenever, when I, whenever I was in my seminars on my English course, I was always being made fully aware of the history of the novel and the history of publishing, I guess, by 
um, by association. Mm. And I wanted to be part of that. I didn't just want to have a novel that was out there and that people could buy and that it was on a shelf. I, I, I did want those things. I still want those things. I have those things and it's fantastic. Yeah. But I wanted to, I wanted to have my place in the history of literature. Now that sounds like a very, um, <laughs> a very kind of grand, a very knit like thing to say. And I, and I realized that, but, but it's true. If you, you have, if you have to, you have to take yourself seriously to a degree and I, i'm very self-deprecating anyone that listens to the right for your life podcast in fact i've had emails telling me that i'm too self-deprecating at times <laughs> it's just it's just a self-defense mechanism it's it's a british thing actually yes that's true <laughs> it's a very british thing that's in sarcasm um, <laughs> um but but i but, but the reality is that, that i'm incredibly ambitious i didn't want to write a novel that um, I didn't want to just knock a novel off in, in, in a couple of months and and put it out on Amazon. I'm not saying that people do do this because, uh, well, people do do this, but I'm not saying that everyone does this because I know that they don't. But I didn't want to just put a no- write it quickly, get it out there and make a few quid um, mm. slash dollars and um, and then do it again. That, that wasn't for me. I, I as, a, as a literary author, excuse me, um, I, I wanted to find my place in, in the grand scheme of things. And that's not just, I mean, I'm, I'm talking uh, about the history of literature, but also what's going on now. So my, my book is being entered for prizes, and it's being, um, whenever it's uh, reviewed, it's often compared to contemporary books. And I was aware of that while I was writing it. I was thinking, well, what's, what's my novel like? I wasn't thinking, what do I want to copy? What do I want my novel to be like? But I was aware of other writers and of, of, of the tradition of writing my type of novel. And I think Harry was kind of getting at that, but he, he also yeah. talks, he also talks a lot about um, the, the 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 benefits of having a, a professional editor and like a team of people around you, which is also important. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Well, and would you say that at least for you, it was um, to a certain extent a matter of priority, i.e., um, for you, it wasn't just about like the money. Right. It was about you wanted your book to be able to stand on a shelf next to these other similar authors of similar work that you admire and be kind of part of that continuum, part of that um, that legacy to a certain extent. And, you know, and to a much smaller extent, part of that club, as it were. Right. Um, Whereas. And so, because of that, it became at least equal to, if not even, maybe even slightly more so important to you than, say, the money that you were going to make. Does that make sense? It it makes sense, and it's absolutely true. It was a decision that I made when I was fairly young. I mean, I was 23. Three, four. When I started writing my novel, and I, t- I talked a lot of before on the Write for Your Life podcast about sacrifice and all that kind of thing, and writing a novel whilst having a full time job in your twenties involves an awful lot of sacrifice in terms of time spent with friends and family and all that kind of thing. It's a slightly different mm-hmm. topic, mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, I always a slightly irritating thing has happened. I, um, I always knew that should my novel be published and it would be stocked in Waterstones or Barnes & Noble in the US or wherever it might be, that um, assuming everyone was in stock, that I would be positioned right next to the Brontes 
because of my surname. Mm-hmm. What I didn't, mm-hmm. which is exciting, you know, that was a, I always thought I'm gonna, one day I'm going to take that photo. When the time came, the Brontes were out of stock and I was right next to Dan Brown. <laughs> which I think was publishing's cruel trick <laughs> there are plenty of people out there that like Dan Brown I know but it's Brown. not when, when obviously Ian was, was living in the romantic <laughs> idea that he would be next to the classics but has actually become you know embroiled in the Da Vinci Code well we're, we're, we're all the same we're, we've all written books at the end of the day that's, that's, the, that's the common denominator <laughs> um, but yeah, absolutely, and um, and it's for angels and demons too. <laughs> indeed, indeed, it's true. Um, and yeah, the, the, the reality is that um, I I have made very little money from writing and publish, having A's for Angelica published. I, I don't know what I'm contractually obliged to say, so I won't say it. But it's yeah. it's not it's not a huge amount, much less than you than I think most people excuse me, think or would imagine. But that's okay because um, it's, it's now written and it's out there and people can buy it for however long. Hopefully it will stay in print for as long as possible. And what it is, it's not, it was never to me some kind of sort of um, word-based cash cow. It was getting that first novel published, having an agent, and I've got a brilliant agent, and it was always the first step um, the first rung of the ladder of a career as an author. Now, I have I have another career, which has been going on at the same time, because I have bills to pay and I have a family to feed now. So I'm, I've been a copywriter. Um, I'm currently a, a researcher in digital communications. I have a kind of a, what people would call a real job. Um, but I've also I've made that first step. I have a first novel that, that's uh, published, and it will always be published. No one can take that away from me. But rather than it being kind of let's do this for the money, what it really is for me is, and what it's always been, is the first step to being um, an author. And hopefully that will happen to me you know, sometime in the future, where I have several books out and I make enough money that it's, it's kind of my thing. I guess yeah. it, would have, it would have always... It would have been crazy for you to have assumed that you were going to get picked up by, like, Random House and, you know... And that you were going to be a, a billionaire by the end of the year, like. Well, it would have been. It would have been. It would have been stupid of me to uh, to have expected that. Yeah. But I always say, reach for the stars and expect nothing. So if I don't think that I can land a million pound book deal, then I never will. But at the same time, every writer uh, of, of, of fiction, I think especially, has to be realistic and realize that the industry is, you know, to a degree on its arse and still kind of trying to work out how to deal with Amazon and how to how to best use, um, you know, all these digital tools that we now have. And people are still playing catch-up in the traditional publishing uh, world. Yeah. But if you, don't, if you don't reach for the stars, then you will never, you will never, you will never see them twinkle. <laughs> I don't oh, know what that means. <laughs> it's very literary. That's, that's actually not true. You will see them t- twinkle. You'll, you'll just you'll see still be on Earth. Fine. Yeah, exactly. Um, so here's the, well, and, and actually, it's the atmosphere and the uh, in, in the movement in the atmosphere that makes them twinkle. What you want is to reach so high that you stop seeing them twinkle. See, um, in any case, so I mean, because here's the thing, and I think that this is the reason why a lot of people 
move to this kind of self-publishing model or, you know, as I discussed, and, and here's my take on it, by the way, you know, first of all, from a personal perspective, I'm all, you know, uh, you know, I certainly want to do whatever option gives me the most ultimate control over my, over my work, um, and ownership of my work. Um, it, it, and so, you know, for me, the kind of, you know, being part of that particular literary canon is less important. But certainly what I find interesting is that I have a whole other different set of authors that I imagine myself and my work a part of on the shelf, as it were, right? Um, uh, even though mine's on a lot less shelves. Um, Seth Godin for instance, or Hugh McLeod, or, uh, you know, that, that kind of, um, <clears throat> that brand of uh, Stephen Pressfield, um, Douglas Rushkoff, you know, that, that brand of, of kind of, <clears throat> it, it falls in the inspirational self-help category, but I'm not even sure if that gives the proper depiction of kind of what it is. And certainly, um, you know, Seth's has more of a more of a sales and marketing bent to it, and Hugh McLeod comes from the perspective of, say, a cartoonist. Um, you know, Stephen Pressfield comes from the perspective of of um, a screenwriter uh, and and uh, you know, creative type that way. You know, and so the, definitely different perspectives and such. But that's kind of where I imagine kind of my works fitting within and next to and. And certainly, while it is a goal for me to kind of be a part of that tradition and that kind of canon of work, if if that if being there would have meant that I would have had to go the kind of traditional route, I don't necessarily think that would have been enough for me to choose that, right? That ultimately the more important thing for me was having that kind of level of control and ownership of my work that allowed me to reap you know, money-wise um, the maximum amount I could. Um, while at the same time understanding that in order to get that, you have to sell a product where the words are not only of value, but that looks good too. Right, that looks like a book and acts like a book and feels like a book. Even if it's an ebook, it needs to look and feel and act like an ebook, right? And has to be formatted and laid out nicely. It has to have a nice cover, and you know. And I understand these things, um, and and so, you know, I have no problem kind of sharing the pie, as it were. And, and so, I think you know, what's interesting about all of this is that. <clears throat> You know, is really you and I, and I think Harry to a certain extent, we all have the same end goal in mind. We have a lot of the same um, wishes and desires, but the priority tier that we have those on is what's really different, if that makes sense. It, it, yeah, it does. It, it makes complete sense. We did um, uh, an episode of uh, The Bro Show, if you can remember that far back, a wonderful program run by a couple of lovable, lovable Londoners and um, on the Centre Decibels Network. And uh, we did an episode um, uh, a long time ago. Well, how long ago was it, Mike? 
I will find out and I'll tell you. It was about 18 months ago, at least. I was living in a different house, I know that much. And um, we did an episode on publishing, digital publishing, and it was me and it was, um, it was Randy Murray, who, mm-hmm. Was, mm-hmm. who was your collaborator or publisher, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, he's um, my publisher. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, Brett Kelly, who some people will know from Center Decibels mm-hmm. Network, cooking with mm-hmm. Brett and Mike. And Mike got us on. I think he wanted us to have some kind of terrible argument where we all became friends initially, having never met before, and went away hating each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that, that was the ploy. And, um, <laughs> Didn't quite work out that way. <laughs> no, because we'd, we'd, all got, we'd all got completely different um, approaches to publishing. I, by the way, I should say that I wasn't... I didn't have a publishing deal at this point, so I still had. I was still talking about because <laughs> it's easy to talk about wanting to be part of a literary canon and being all hoity-toity when you've got a book deal. It's not so easy when you haven't and you don't know what's going yeah. to happen to you. Um, at that point, I didn't, but I was still saying it, and we kind of had this discussion. And I think we were the expectation was that we would all disagree. But what we decided in the end was that the routes that we'd chosen were the ones that were right for not just us but for our book. So mm-hmm. I would say that if I, were, if I were you, in your position, with the platform that you've built through you know, hard work and kind of um, uh, and, and, and carefully and you know, with, with thought, that, uh, and, and the type of book and all that kind of thing, and the fact that you, that, that you have Randy as a contact, you have uh, uh, editors, you have, all the, if, um, you know, Aaron Mankey to do the, you have all this network in place. Mm-hmm. If I were you, I would have done exactly the same thing. And, it's, mm-hmm. and there is no right or wrong way of doing things. And if I was to, let's say, if I was to decide to put together some kind of um, uh, a collection of writing advice, so I've been writing on, on my blog for four years and I decided that I wanted to kind of bring all my thoughts together and put them out in a book, mm-hmm. I think it's unlikely that I would choose a traditional publisher. I think I would have a chat with my agent and say, what do you think? And I would expect her to say, to be honest, I think you're better off doing this on your own. Mm-hmm. And this, this kind of hybrid model... I think is is the future. It's the way to go. I think there'll be authors who publish some stuff. Um, I mean, it's not the future. It's happening now. I mean, it's Seth yeah. Godin is a yeah. good example, right? Exactly. Um, and and what's right for one book will not be right for the other book. And um, and and I think that you you did the right thing by your book. Yeah. Well, I, I want to. We're going to get that back to that after the after the jump. Because uh, we need to step in here and talk about uh, our sponsor, uh, who is Squarespace. Of course. Oh, I love Squarespace. Uh, Squarespace is all you need to make an amazing website for your book, ebook, promotion for your standard book. I mean, really, it's got all the tools there in place. Are you doing the sponsor should... this week? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I know that you have copy that you're supposed to read, but I'm happy to wing it if you want. No, it's okay. <laughs> they don't. They don't pay us to wing it. Yeah, that's true. Um, it was episode 16, 69 of the Bro Show, by the way, which is in August two thousand and eleven. Wow, there cool. we go. But yes, if you are, I mean, you could even sell your book on Squarespace. So let's say, for example, that you are Mr. Ian Broom, and Mr. Ian Broom decides that he wants to to sell a book that he has put together. So he can go to squarespace.com. He can set up a site there. Um, he doesn't have to worry about hosting it anywhere. He doesn't have to worry about finding a designer because he has beautiful templates, which he can take advantage of. But he can also implement Squarespace Commerce. So 
if if it could be physical, if he wanted to sell physical books, you know, if he wanted to get them printed, or he could sell an ebook and he could host the file on Squarespace's site. So the site that you have them, you can host digital files there, and he could set up a store on his Squarespace site, and he could have inventory management, he can have order processing, he can have customizable emails that will be sent out to his customers when they purchase with information like download links and stuff like that, and he can even set up. Um, you can have like timed codes on a download link, so you wouldn't be able to share it with his. You know, the customers wouldn't be able to share them online and have people just stealing from him or whatever. So you could do all of that with Squarespace Commerce. But also with the Squarespace platform, you have um, a fantastic way of building pages. So you could put mm-hmm. together a page in seconds by just adding blocks of content, and you can drag and drop them around. You have 24-7 customer support, iOS and Android apps to let you manage your site on the go. It's real-time analytics and statistics all built in. Squarespace plans start at $10 a month for their standard plan. They have an unlimited plan and a business plan, and you can find out more about this and also sign up for a free trial by going to squarespace.com forward slash 70 decibels. And if you purchase a a Squarespace plan, use the code 70 decibels four. that's 70-D-E-C-I-B-E-L-S and the number 4, for an additional 10% off your first order at Squarespace, who give you everything you need to make an amazing website. Yeah. So, um, I had a, a point that I wanted to make about okay, go for um, it. what we were just talking about, so the, the sort of the dual model. This is something that happens a lot in comic books. And there is a notion called the creator-owned comic. So you have someone like uh, there is a, a a very very famous guy called Brian Michael Bendis, um, and Brian Michael Bendis is he works at Marvel, and he's currently working on the Avengers. He writes the Avengers books, so he okay. is like the top of the game that you can be. And he does a lot of their creative stuff. He just finished doing X Men. Or it might be the other way around. No, he's finished Avengers. He's now on X-Men, sorry. He has a book called... Um, oh, my God, it's just gone out of my head. I will find Uh-oh. it out in a second. I had it right there, because uh, I've, I've even read a couple of issues of it, and it's just gone out of my head now. But, yeah, so he has a creator-owned book, and it's a big thing um, that we're seeing a lot more of in that industry is creator-owned work. That's what it's called. And I can't believe that I am now unable to find this. Is it called, is it called The Giant Monster of Death? No, but that would be interesting. Oh, this isn't... The this Fantastic is Woman in Tights. Scarlet. <laughs> it's called Scarlet. That's the name of the book. That was quite close. Yeah, it was actually. <laughs> and uh, there are... Th- this happens a lot. So there are well-known comic book creators who work for the big publishers have their own creator-owned stuff for whatever reason. Like, for example, Scarlet is quite violent and is is more of an adult book. And that's maybe not something so much that Marvel wants to do. So I guess he goes to Marvel and says, I want to create this book. And they say, that's fine, you can do that because it's not something that we would want to to do or, or whatever, or however it happens. But that happens a lot more and it's it's very interesting. So and yeah. there, you know, there have been whole publishing houses set up to aid people in this if they want it, or um, services like Comicsology allow for independent people to sell their their books, and they highlight them and feature them and all that sort of stuff. Well, and you know, I think that um, you know that that's the thing, right? I, what I the point I wanted to get back to, and this that's a, a perfect kind of example and segue into it is that. 
I think the important thing to look at here is that this is a golden age for anyone who's a writer, right? I mean, this is, you know, this is like on par with, you know, the invention of the printing press and, you know, and uh, the kind of transition from, from, you know, scribes to, you know, anyone being able to publish, right? Um, uh the options that are out there and available are not only plentiful and you know seeming limitless but that like you said there is no kind of right way to go about doing this you know this kind of you know hybrid model i would i guess i would call it that i am a part of you know um and is just one kind of level. I mean, one of the things that, that, uh, uh you know, on further reflection and thinking about this stuff, that uh, is a point I, I, I wish I would have raised at the time with Harry is this. The other thing I think people are seeing is that while, you know, we look at it as, oh, this is the death of traditional publishers and blah, blah, blah. You know, oh, this is going away. They're dinosaurs. They, all they use is Microsoft Word. And blah, blah. You know, the, the fact is, is that this actually opens up a lot of options for publishers, right? Why couldn't a traditional publisher have their traditional publishing arm and then have like, um, you know, say it's Penguin, for instance, so Penguin, you know, has their kind of tra- more traditional publishing arm, but then they've got like you know, Penguin Micro, which is their services arm for for writers, where they can kind of hand pick writers to work with, or maybe writers pay a fee of some sort, or what have you, in order to get access to proper editing and proper layout and design and things like that, right? It's offered by the publishing company. And that way the publishing company then gets to kind of take a peek at what's going on out there and the better stuff, they could say, treat that as their farm league and call, call the, the best of those people up to the majors for like a real book deal with distribution and the whole nine yards. Right. I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. And this, this is, this is happening. This is happening, uh, happening now. Um, and it will. Ha- you're right. It'll happen more. Um, Tibor Jones, who has um, been, excuse me, my literary agency for, uh, well, since I got an agent. Um, the only reason that I say was is because um, Sophie, who was on the podcast uh, three or four weeks ago, who's, who's my agent, has actually just moved to Conval and Walsh. So I'm actually going with her. Slightly separate issue. But Tibor Jones, <laughs> one of the things they did, <laughs> some kind of that was an, almost an announcement actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sorry about that. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get rid of all that. Um, Tibor Jones, literary agency, kind of their, their roots is in very traditional, get an author, work with them, find a publisher, get their book published, sell their book. And they they change with the times. Uh, two or three years ago, they introduced something called the Page Turner Prize, which is what I talked about on the podcast, where they, um, where they invite um, authors who have got either a finished or near finished novel to submit to a prize, and the winner gets a uh, is uh, becomes um, 
they get an agency. They become part of the agency. They get a representation. Mm-hmm. They also did a South Asia Prize with a very similar sort of setup, and they launched something called the Writing Studio, where they did exactly what you've just described, where writers can pay um, a, a fee. I don't remember how much it was. It wasn't expensive, and they worked with, I believe, with Sophie for um, a, a set period of time on their novel. And having worked with Sophie, and having knowing her expertise, then I, I know that it would be the most well spent, um, however much it was, um, uh, they could possibly have. There's, there's a huge, there's a huge misconception about traditional publishing and about publishers at the moment. And a lot of it, frankly, is, is peddled by, um, people who are self-publishing and, um, and are, are basically peddling myths that agents are all lazy, kind of good-for-nothings who only want to sort of fleece their authors for all the money they can and then dump them on the scrap heap. It's, it's absolute nonsense. I'm not saying, of course, I'm not saying that all self-publishers do that, but there are, that, that, kind, of, that kind of idea is very much um, um, being put out there on a regular basis. And my experience has been absolutely nothing of the sort. Um, but, of course... I, I'm, uh, when I say that, I'm, I'm defending um, um, many people in publishing because at the end of the day, the publishing industry, people complain about it. But the publishing industry, like most industries, is made up of people. And there are many, many, many fantastic people working in the publishing industry who are right on it with the digital publishing. They know exactly what the score is. And they are being innovative. They're doing the kinds of things that you describe and, and far more innovative things with their mm. authors and working with them. But my experience so far, which is, I guess is the most reliable one I have, um, is, is that every single person I've dealt with um, on a very close level, so my agent and, and then my publisher, has cared deeply about my book and about me and would, would uh, absolutely shudder at the idea of, of, um, uh, that they would be considered, that, uh, that, that they would be making money out of me and didn't really care about me and that was it. It just doesn't work, it just doesn't work like that with good publishers of which there are many um but of course i'm like i say i'm defending so uh, i'm defending publishing to a degree there right, right. Uh, exactly you know but but at the same time people who have self-published for for years and years and years and years have been considered a joke and yeah. they feel quite understandably that this is payback time to a degree and yeah. i completely understand that but i do think that both sides have a responsibility to kind of go to acknowledge the reality of um, hybrid publishing and say it's all about the book, it's all about the author and isn't it fantastic as you say, that we live in an age now where every author has options and they can yeah. do whatever they want with their book. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, I think <clears throat> you know I, th- I think that this whole idea of quote-unquote self-publishing is in fact a, a, a quite an old one um, that the, this is not just something that's been spawned by the digital age. Which, you know, the digital age has allowed it to be distributed more li- widely and to actually attach um, um, a, a transaction to it, you know, monetarily that is super simple. As it were, right? You know, you there, you know, there are stores that you can upload this stuff to. There's, you know, you can, you know set up your own thing with like Stripe or, you know, uh, PayPal or whatnot and, and, you know, basically kind of put together your own store, whatever you want to do, you know, Squarespace, use the commerce thing, right? Um, the, 
you know, and that's the real change. That's the real revolution. But I mean, I was publishing my early work in zines back in the day mm. that were, you know, then, you know, basically mailed out for, you know, you would, uh, you know, some sort of membership fee, you know, the zine would get and would split it up amongst the, uh, amongst the writers. And, you know, people would mail in their checks for $10 for the year and they would get them, you know, 12 issues of this, of this zine that, you know, someone would print out on a, you know, on a laser printer or, you know, even before then a, a dot matrix, yes, believe it or not, um, <laughs> you know, and, you know, photocopy it and send this thing out. Mm. Yeah, you yeah, know, absolutely. And, I mean, and and so, you know, zines and kind of these, you know, self-published literary magazines uh, and and journals um, have been around for a very long time. Um, this is not anything that's new, and it's not um, anything that, uh, you know. I would argue that it's been around for at least as long as the printing press because, you know, the printing press was oftentimes not used to print whole books, but used just simply to print a leaflet or, you know, a pamphlet that, you know, some sort of, you know, political diatribe against the king or something like that, you know? Um, You know, it wasn't necessarily, you know, this thing where, you know, they published nothing but the Bible. Um, Mm. You know, and I and, and I th- I think that um, I guess what I'm getting at is that it is to me important to respect that authorship, that writing, as much as it is to respect you know book authors and literary you know uh, writers, right? Um, you know that that there's you know that there's great work in all of those places, and there's crappy work in all of those places, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. And and that uh, you know, to me, a writer is a writer is a writer is a writer, and you're either you know you're either out there and you're doing your thing and you're putting it out there for the world to see, or or you're not. And who who whomever judges it from there is completely. You know, uh, subjective. Um, you know that that you don't have to necessarily be anointed um, by some. You know, by Penguin or or Wiley or you know whomever. You know, you, you, you know, insert big publisher here um, to to be considered good. You just have to be good to be considered good. Right, and it's only a question of how many people might consider you good, um, and those are the people who are your audience and who you're going to write for and who is going to buy your work. And if that is, you know, an audience of one, fantastic. Because guess what? There's a lot of writers out there that don't even have that, and there's there's more than a few out there that that have that and don't deserve it. To be honest with you, mm. so. Um, well, and a lot of the problem that the, this discussion. Uh, kind of uh, brings is it, it, we the, the conversation is always framed um, with people like Amanda Hocking and um, or J.K. Rowling on the other side, mm-hmm. and those people are such like I said earlier they're such outliers. It's kind of almost mm-hmm. not worth talking about them mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. yes, I could write um, a children's book about 
wizards, which are like wizards, but not quite. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're kind of like aliens with sort of uh, seven teeth, but the teeth are a little slightly furry. Um, it's not going to work. That's never going to get published, is it? Um, so I could do that, but the chances of me, as you've just heard, becoming a squillionaire through it are, are none. The chances are none. It's not going to happen. It, that happens to a handful of people in, in this world. It doesn't happen. And at the same time, um, Amanda Hocking or um, Fifty Shades, E.L. James, mm-hmm. it's, they're such outliers. So, so let's not frame the conversation with those people, let's frame it with ordinary people, perhaps yeah. like me and you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the literally thousands upon thousands of writers that are out there, you know, getting published and putting out books. Um, and, get, and getting paid. Getting, and getting paid, paid for it. But and, not... And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you completely. Um, and... Uh, and that's why I think this is this was such an important follow up conversation to have after last week's ex- episode, because, um, and, and that's probably one of the biggest takeaway points is that not only is there not a right way to to do this, a right or wrong way, but you know to just simply talk about the outliers is not really going to give you an accurate picture of what's going on. You know the uh, you know the fact is is that. Uh, I, I know for a fact that agents, publishing companies, you know, are actually hiring people to do nothing but read through self-published works, right? Mm-hmm. To go through, you know, Amazon and find, oh, you know, let me go through Amazon and find all the all the self-published folks that have, you know, gotten X amount of four or five stars. Yeah, read okay. those and yeah. send and send them an offer letter because that's our next. You know, I mean, they're totally. You know, and so, of course, another path might be for someone to be out there self-publishing their stuff, building their audience, and, and doing that sort of thing um, in order to get an agent or get a publishing deal, right? Um, because if you are good, people will find it. If you are good, people will tell other people about it. The reason that, you know, that I have sold as much as I've sold has simply been through not just the audience that I've spent years building at Mimble Mac or my own site or whatever, but also for those people saying to people, hey, you know what? This thing is good. You should check it out. You know? Yeah. I mean, um, I've, it's, I've, I've had a, um, uh, an unusual experience, actually, with that. I, I've spent uh, a, f- a few years um, building up. Um, what was initially the Right for Your Life is now just my own name for the URL, but it's um, uh, basically a blog about about writing. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the things that I found, and what I talked about recently on, a, on, a, on an episode of the podcast, was that I found that writers don't tend to buy other writers' <laughs> novels so much. And I've kind of had to really rethink my my own platform. I mean, my my platform is isn't as big as yours, Patrick, as we know. But it's um, but it's still important to have one. It's still it's still important, and it's vital for people who are publishing independently to have um, some kind of platform. Otherwise, yeah. you, you really yeah, are just true. putting things out into the ether and hoping for the best. That's true. Um, but in, increasingly, I would say that it's also becoming not vital, but certainly a value add. If you go to an agent and say, you know, not only do, not only do I have this book and I've written this book. I've got ten thousand people ready to buy it right now today. It's, it's not you're, if you if you've written a fantastically <laughs> brilliant book, then then you may get a deal anyway. 
but in this day and age, you're a normal kind of writer with a with a with a good with a, you know with a, with a great with a, a great book. It doesn't matter. Um, all of us, we have to do our bit. There is not the budgets there. There is not the um, and as you said earlier, not necessarily the know-how there um, mm-hmm. to 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 just create a platform. It's something you do have to work with, and it's just about choosing the right platform and 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 that kind of thing. And a lot of the people that have sold the Squillion books um, um, have have had some kind of platform generally, and they've they've used it. Mm-hmm. And that platform may be Amazon itself. They may just be really cunning and brilliant at writing Amazon profiles and writing lots of books that are all linked to each other and all that kind of crazy palaver. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, um, it's, 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 a, it's a bit of a wild west at the moment, publishing, to be honest yeah. with you. But you know, yeah, if, you can find, if you can find your own corner and be content with what you're doing and have some integrity, that's the, I think that's the thing. Oh, if you do, as, long as, you, as long as you do something and you can look yourself in the mirror and go, I'm happy with that decision, then that's fine. And like I said earlier, I, I wouldn't have been happy with just writing as good a book as I could in seven weeks and saying, well, it has to be out now because I want, I want some quick money and I just want it to be published. I wanted to look at myself in the mirror and go, that book was the best it could possibly be. And mm-hmm. I think that, that should go for anyone. And I've, I've had plenty of arguments online with people who are more about, well, you know, it's all, you know, the more books you have on Amazon, the more money you'll make and all this kind of thing. I think sod bloody making money on Amazon. Have some integrity and be able to say that book was as good as it possibly could be. My book could be better. Ace Vangelica could be better. I'm a better writer now than I was eight, nine, ten years ago when I started writing it. Mm-hmm. But it, but I, you have to stop somewhere. And I, at, the, at that particular mm-hmm. time where I put the pen down in this sort of guy's of a keyboard, <clears throat> I, I, it was as good as it could possibly be, and I could have integrity and say, "That was me. That was then. That was my book," and be happy. And all oh, that is way more important than almost everything we've talked about so far. <laughs> I think. Uh, thanks a lot, Ian, for for being on. This has just been it's been great. It's been enlightening. I hope those who enjoyed our last conversation uh, last last week about publishing have enjoyed this kind of follow-up episode i guess as it were um you know i I promise we'll we'll be back to kind of the the big ice big idea stuff uh uh, next week uh but uh i I really was excited to continue this discussion uh to have you on um and to have had harry on last week i just think these two shows pretty much um you know i mean they're going to end up being the things i point people to when i get these questions about publishing and things like that that i get in my inbox uh, every so often um you know other people write to me say i've got this book i've been thinking about self publishing or i've been thinking about looking around for a book deal how does one go about doing that that sort of thing i'm like uh, i don't know what to tell you um i'm going to point them at these two episodes and say pretty much you know you know everything you need to know about my opinion in this area. You know is is here, and plus you get the bonus of having, you know, Ian's and and Harry's and and, and Mike's uh, thoughts as well. So, I'd so thanks a lot for being on. I really appreciate it. No problem. I'd have probably benefited from a, a more traditional episode of Enough because I've got my 64 gig MacBook Air in front of me, and I've got less than a gigabyte space left on the hard drive. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we need to talk. Uh, We're going to talk after this because that's not a good thing, by the way. I'm sorry. I've solved the problem by ordering myself an iMac earlier today. (laughs) Well, 
there you go. I guess oh, we don't. Me, me just I, I earn <laughs> the, the money I earn as an author. Honestly, yeah, that, that's that's what happens when you get a publishing contract. My yeah, max filling. Up, IMAX, I'll just order a new one. <laughs> I realised as soon as I said it, it was probably the most uh, arrogant remark I've ever made, and I apologise to everyone listening. It's not what I, although it's true, it's been in the planning and in the savings for many years. So, uh, shall we? Should we call this a day? Shall we? Yeah, I think we should. So, so where can they find you and your very interesting blogging uh, style, uh, which lately has been uh, mostly audio booths and and audio blogging. Which That's true. I'm, I, I found I'm, very interesting for a writer. Oh, yeah, well, um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and also YouTube. So I'm, 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 I've discovered a whole community of people who review books and talk about books, like a huge sort of community on book on, uh, on sorry on YouTube, uh, and they call themselves booktubers. And I kind of I love talking about books and about writing, so I'm, I'm using that a bit more as well at the moment. And we'll, we'll tell people about where they can find you. Yes, where yes, they can find yes. that. Um, IanBroom.com on Twitter I'm Ian Broom I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E and the podcast that you referred to is called Chat Broom and it's called uh, ChatBroom.com that's it yeah. and, and, and the, what's the book booktube oh, yeah. you said? Um, well it's YouTube but it's just people that call themselves uh, booktubers it's like it's like a it's like a sub-community of, of YouTube and but you can find me at um, I don't know YouTube.com slash user slash Ian Broom I have a channel on there feel free to subscribe oh, terrific Terrific. All right. And uh, and Michael, you, sir? I'm iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. You can find me everywhere with that. Yep. Yep. And I'm Patrick Rohn, P-A-T-R-I-C-K-R-E-S-O-N-E. And I'm just about everywhere with that, including my email address is patrick at patrickrohn.com. Um, and, uh, you know, as you can tell, I welcome it. People send it. I read it. I respond to it. Uh, sometimes I even do whole podcasts in response to it, so feel free. All right. And with that, we'll chat later. We will. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. <laughs>